Well, uh, my name is Justin. I serve kind of in two ways in our church. One is, I've shared before, a recovery group that meets Saturdays at the Lighthouse Mission uh, for men, uh, sexual recovery. And then the other way is, I really enjoy your fourth and fifth graders are just a hoot to be with. Um, I'm married to Megan, who uh, is the children's director, so that's another connection there. Uh, This morning, uh, as stated before, Pastor Phil and Julie are on vacation, and we just bless them. Uh, It's been such a joy to serve with them for both Megan and I. Um, This might sound like a funny way to start, but I felt like I just needed to jump in. So my name is Justin. In the past 20 years or so, I'm I'm one of... uh, people that has nearly walked away from church uh, more times than I can remember. And that's a funny thing to say from up here. Um, But I know that for many of you, um, you have children that have walked away, or you have peers uh, that have walked away from the church. Um, And my heart goes out to them. And I also just remind everyone who was part of uh, the hippie movement that you were a generation that the church thought wasn't going to make it. (laughs) There's great hope. There's great hope. We have a a living Savior. Um, But just as true um, of my story is that I found a a fresh vision and a fresh desire to really love the church. And I hope this morning to share both the the battle, my struggle, as well as my great hope with you, that I might persuade you that the church is something that is really worth laying down your life for. I love Jesus saying, Uh, No greater love has a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Uh, That's the example he has for us. So I want you to know as as I share this morning, if it feels like I'm reading your mail, I'm not. I'm reading from pages of my own biography. (laughs) Um, And we just maybe happen to share some of a similar uh, journey. Um, I think that this aspect of the spiritual battle is one that... um, I am sensitive to, and probably you are too. It feels like COVID kind of put a magnifying glass on everything that divides us. Um, And I also believe this is a battle that's only going to increase. Jesus, when asked what would be the indications that uh, the end of the age was coming, he said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. So there's kind of a spiritual uh, climate change, if you will, that, that Jesus anticipated would signal the fact that he's coming again. And so um, the love there is, is the word agape, which makes me wonder if he's speaking about the church. Because agape love is, is the love that we can't give until we've received it from Jesus. A love that needs no reason to love, um, no condition. So this morning, if you're a note taker, I kind of laid this out in three questions. The first one we're going to answer is, what are we fighting for? Second one is, who are we fighting against? And third one, kind of goes out to you yogis out there, what is the spiritual warrior's posture, warrior pose? (laughs) So question one, what are we fighting for? Uh, Before we can really get into who are we fighting against, I think it's important to know what do we have to lose if we lose? So I'm going to backtrack us back into the middle of the book, Ephesians 3, verse 13. And this is a prayer, and this is going to be my prayer for us this morning as we start again. So, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So, Lord, in a culture today that is drowning in loneliness, we really need to be established in love. Father, our hearts are hungry to know your love that surpasses knowledge, and we long to be in a community that is filled with the fullness of God. Amen. So that little verse makes me question, how on earth do you know something that surpasses knowledge? How do you know something that books cannot uh, completely describe? I'm a Coastie, I'm a Coast Guard guy, so if I keep bringing us back to the ocean, <laughs> now you know why. Uh, so an, an easy example of this is you and I could spend 10 years studying charts of the Pacific Ocean, and it's true, we could learn a lot of things. Um, but it'd be totally different if seven of us walked down to the harbor today and got in your boat and we're going to Hawaii or we're going to Alaska, right? There's two ways to know the Pacific Ocean. Um, yeah, the charts, but there's a whole nother thing to just get in that boat, see those whales, weather the storm. And so it's, it's this kind of experiential uh, of God's love that Paul is praying for. Hey, I want you to know a love that passes knowledge. A Pacific Ocean passes my knowledge, but I can still know it. So he's praying that more of us would be, you know, yeah, take your chart with you, but there'd be more of us that are willing to go, you know what, I'm jumping in, I'm jumping in. Uh, and what is the key to that promise? Um, I believe it's right at the beginning here. He says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And so the key to going from a chart studier to a man going to Hawaii is, is whether or not I or whether or not you are willing to love the church. And so there's a piece of God that loves to be incarnate, and he still loves to be incarnate, and he does that through you guys. He does it through the church. And so it's in that experience that we get to experience a love that is, is bigger and deeper. And then this strange verse, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God there's another promise attached to community. That, and that, to me, sounds like being baptized with the Holy Spirit, but I know it's a little different. But there's something here for us in community to be filled with the fullness of God. Um, as I shared, if I'm honest, sometimes I'm not willing to love. Sometimes it sounds easier to go sailing. Yeah, Hawaii sounds a little funner sometimes than loving the church, if we're honest, right? But if we are to experience this sort of love and this sort of being filled with God that only happens in community, then it's going to take me saying, you know what, maybe I don't agree with all of you. <laughs> maybe, you know, it's not always easy to love all of you. Uh, maybe I don't even always feel like I fit in. But if this is how God wants to work in my life, if this is the portal to a life like that, man, God, you work in mysterious ways. <laughs> Jesus, I'm all in, right? I'm all in. Here's a thought that I've kind of had to wrestle with in my heart. What if God never planned to use a perfect church to grow us to maturity? What if the path to becoming more like Christ was for us to learn how to love 
an imperfect church or an immature church. But the truth is, there is something inside of us that would rather get offended. There's something inside of us that would rather give each other labels and write each other off and walk away. What is that? I don't think it takes too much self-awareness to realize that there's something fighting us from within and without that we can't see, making getting offended by one another easier than confronting in love and forgiving one another. And the only word to accurately describe it is to use the language and metaphors of war. We are in a battle. We feel it in our politics. We feel it in our work. We feel it in our homes, and we feel it sometimes in, in the church. It's no wonder Paul needs to pause in the middle of a God-sized dream for the church and recognize that this isn't easy. It's a battle. My question two, who are we fighting against? So back to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Another way of saying it is that your enemy isn't human. It does not have flesh and blood. It is not your wife. It's not your boss. It's not that political party. Our adversary is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The word in this scripture is, is Satan, another name named for the same entity as the word devil. And the word devil in Greek means to throw asunder or to divide. This isn't his whole strategy, but this sums up a lot of his strategy. He comes to divide us from Jesus. Jesus, who said to his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing. He comes to divide us from fellow believers of whom Jesus said, this is how they will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We fight not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not human. Therefore, spiritual warfare is about learning how to fight for people instead of against people. This means we are always moving towards people that oppose us instead of pushing them away. After all, sinners love living with Jesus. They love doing life with him. My question three is the warrior pose. What posture do we take? If you take a second look at the text, you'll notice there's a word here missing, and the word is fight. Isn't that weird? I thought spiritual warfare was about fighting, but there's no mention of the word fight. Instead, we see a, a different verb. We see the verb stand. It's mentioned four times. Stand, the whole reason we put on armor is to stand firmly. Clyde Snodgrass in the application commentary also points out something that's missing in the English translation. All the imperatives in this section are in plural form. Okay, so this means that we put on armor together. We battle together. We stand together. Something for community. Standing also implies that part of the battle when things get hard, relationally hard, is often within us. It's the temptation to do anything but stand. This is where our natural fight or flight reflexes really kick in. If you have a passive personality, which is more me, 
This can look like kindly and politely distancing ourselves from each other or avoiding conflict and difficult conversations at home or work or church, checking out and numbing out. And then if you have an aggressive bent, you push others away. Maybe anger comes real quick for you. Getting angry kind of has some weird psychological perks because it, you can't be wrong and angry at the same time. Being angry always means you feel right. It also numbs us emotionally, allowing us to escape unwanted feelings or memories. But neither of these is how we win spiritual battles. We must learn the odd practice of standing when attacked. Jesus, we are told in 1 Peter, it says, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Standing like Jesus is not what we are hardwired to do. One of my favorite stories is of this is the Old Testament in Exodus as the children of Israel are set free from the cruel slave masters and from bondages that they had in that lifestyle. And they're cornered by two really difficult things that felt like they had no escape. One was the Red Sea. One was Pharaoh and all his armies coming after them with all their chariots, wanting them back for good. Their old masters, their old ways of life, and their old bondage. I wonder if in the pressures of your relationship right now, if you feel and find that you are slipping back to the places you you thought you'd never go to. Perhaps freedom from repetitive sinful behavior is less about avoiding sin and more about not avoiding your fears. We call them coping mechanisms for a reason. (laughs) Um, Look at what God told them to do. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Wow. Stand still, because the Lord will fight for you. This is what I'm a visual guy, but the, vis- the picture I get, it's almost as if God says, Justin, I want to show your anxious, fearful, doubting heart just how big I really am. I found the best seat in the house for you to see that. Hey, actually, why don't you just come down here to the field <laughs> and stand right next to me? Watch, watch what I do to your fear. Oh, yeah, here's some armor. Oh, you'll need this helmet. You'll need your community. And... What if the battle is not about God being cruel to us? What if the battle is about God proving to our fears just how big he really is? Life is full of fears, and the last fear we all get to face is death itself. But even there, what if God wants to show our fears how big he really is? Life is hard. Our job is not to fight, it's to stand. The battle belongs to the Lord. I know what you're thinking, because I'm human. I don't like battles. (laughs) Is there another alternative? Well, sort of. There is an alternative, but it is not a good one. If you remember the Israelites, they later on were inches away from the promised land, inches from experiencing all the good things God had wanted to give them. But they got surprised by the fact that the promised land included facing off with giants and fortified cities and battles. 
God wouldn't do that, would he? He wouldn't give us promises with giants in it and battles to fight and win. Because of their unbelief and lack of faith, they turned back to the wilderness and spent the rest of their lives walking in hot, dry, dusty circles. I believe this is a warning for us. Yes, sometimes the wilderness experience, they are God-ordained and a gift. However, there is a wilderness experience that is self-imposed. Avoiding battles will lead to a spiritually dry wilderness experience of God. It gets dry because even though we may still have the right theology and our religious practices, we are no longer trusting God. And without trust, there can be no intimacy. Being able to stand in the heat of the moment requires that we raise a shield of faith. Pulling that out of religious language, in in plain English, faith is trust. Trusting someone other than ourselves. And that always makes us feel vulnerable. But without vulnerability to God, there can be no intimacy with God. The question of every battle becomes, will I make God my security or will I make some sort of security my God? Walking by faith requires me to make up my mind. I find my human heart is always moving towards one or the other. When, I walk, when my walk with Jesus goes dry, often for me, the quickest way to experience a personal renewal is to take a step of faith. The vulnerability that walking by faith creates is what keeps my heart open and tender to the Lord. Standing also implies that we show up. The Israelites forfeited a victory that God had intended to give them because they didn't show up. Running away from whatever battles are in my life right now is a guaranteed way to forfeit the victory. Notice there is no spiritual armor for our backside. (laughs) This implies that God never intended us to run away from our problems, but to face them head on. The last verse of what we read there shows us how Paul faced his fear. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I find this to be a beautiful thing. Normally, we tell God, God, catch me and then I'll jump. I kind of picture my kid jumping out of a tree, right? Hey, catch me and then I'll jump. It doesn't make sense. Instead, we have a God that says, no, Justin, you jump, and I'll catch you. Um, Paul, if I was to ask for prayer, I would have said something like, pray that God would give me words, and then I'll be fearless. <laughs> but that is not what happened. Look at this. He says, pray that whenever I speak, words may be given me. He doesn't say the other way around, God, give me words, and then I will speak fearlessly. Um, that's what it's like to raise up a shield of faith. Oftentimes, faith standing isn't passive. It requires us to launch out, uh, to take a step. <clears throat> so this morning, um, I just wonder if, if God's speaking to you, what I'm saying to you isn't new. It's what you've been hearing all week or weeks prior. Um, and perhaps for you, there's something that maybe you've been procrastinating a bit. Maybe there's something exciting. Maybe it's something in work in church or in mission. 
Or maybe there's a, something not exciting. Maybe there's a challenging conversation you keep a- avoiding. But for others of you, maybe you find yourself kind of where I was. Um, you find that perhaps your heart is shrinking towards the church. Yes, you may be physically present here, but your heart is no longer here. That's actually what happened to the church in Ephesians that this letter was to. Their theology, their doctrine had remained spotless. But years later, a message from Jesus came to this church as written in Revelations chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus says, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. To you who know this is true of you today, what would it look like to risk opening your heart again to an imperfect church, trusting that this is the very thing you were gifted and called for? In closing, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Yes, Lord Jesus, would you give us the grace to walk through every single one of our fears with you, with our eyes fixed on you, until we are finally in your arms. We remember that your perfect love casts out fear. Thank you that you are the truth. You are our righteousness. You are our prince of peace. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the source of our salvation. You are the word of God made flesh. And it is you who will keep us from falling. And in you we realize we have all the armor we need. We love you, Lord Jesus. Come quickly, we pray in your name. Amen. God bless you, church.